Crispin here on the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. Today on the podcast, we have part 11 in our series on the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus talks about blessed are the persecuted, those persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Um, a timely word that I think really ties into a lot of what is going on in the world today. So without further ado, let's go ahead and head to the talk. North Shore Vineyard Church in downtown Covington. Thanks for listening. How about we do a reading together of the scriptures? We uh, we got that Sermon on the Mount. Uh, yeah, let's 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 uh, read this together. It's on the screen up there. I don't think I put it in your outline today. I did. Did I? The whole thing. I put part of it. We're going to read the whole thing together. This is the Beatitudes. So, on your mark, get set, go. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I'm just going to open us with a word of prayer here this morning as we look into this. Lord, God, we just want to quiet our souls to hear your voice today, God. And Lord, I just ask for your help as as the one teaching these things today, that, that Lord, you would help me. Lead people to you, Jesus. Um, Or just help us to be open to your voice, what you're saying. God, I pray, Lord, that, that, that your words, Jesus, would confront the false ideas and philosophies that maybe we've been living by, even unconsciously. Lord, let your truth bring freedom in our lives today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've been in this series on the Beatitudes for a couple of months now. Well, it's actually a series on the Sermon on the Mount, but I'm going to recap a little bit about the Beatitudes because today is the last of the Beatitudes section of the Sermon on the Mount. And so um, the Beatitudes... Uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, they're not so much teachings of Jesus as an announcement of Jesus of the kingdom coming. And, and he starts off saying, blessed are you who are poor in spirit, you lucky bums, as we've said. You know, you guys who don't have a religious bone in your body, you guys who are, you know, some of them were actually very poor in reality, but, but you, you who, who don't think you can measure up in church and don't know the Bible very well, blessed are you because Jesus is starting his, his kingdom of God project with you. The poor in spirit. He's not starting with the theologians. He's not starting with the powerful, with the rich. He's starting with the poor in spirit. Yours is the kingdom of God. And so Jesus announces this at the beginning of his message, and then he goes through a list of things. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Those who hunger and thirst for things to be made right. Blessed are those who show mercy. 
Blessed are those who are pure, not just in in an outward way, an external way like the Pharisees, but pure in heart. They can actually see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. And today he wraps it up with, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. These beatitudes actually show us the, the, the shape of what life will look like when we follow Jesus. When we follow Jesus' ways, we, we will bear the fruit of these beatitudes in our lives because they're the very description of Jesus. I've said this before, I'll say it again. If you want to know what God is like, we look at Jesus. If you want to know what Jesus is like, look at the beatitudes. Jesus was the one who was rich but became poor for us. Jesus was the one who showed, showed us mercy. He was the ultimate peacemaker. He was humble and meek, pure in heart. And we see all these eight beatitudes display in a vivid way on the cross of, of Calvary. Now, one thing that I've mentioned a few times, I'm going to mention it one more time today, is that our biggest problem when we come particularly to the Beatitudes, but to a lot of the, the books in the New Testament, is that we have a lot more in common today. If you have been raised an American, if you've been raised in this country, we've got a lot more in common with the Romans, the Roman Empire, than we do with the people that would have first heard this message of Jesus. America is the greatest military power the world has ever known. There's been nothing like America. What we spend on military is, is a lot every year. We have the, the greatest economy in the world. When, when America, something goes wrong in America, it affects everybody. We have the greatest uh, access to natural resources of any country in the history of the world. We are the rich. We are the powerful. We are the ones who, who you know, are in control. And so it's very hard when we come to these words of Jesus to get the punch of them because most of us don't know what it's like to truly be persecuted against. Most of us don't know what it's like to suffer lack and want, to be on the fringes, to, to not have a vote, to, to, to suffer for, for our place in life or maybe our beliefs. And so today, I want, to, I want to tell a couple of stories that have impacted me in a powerful way. And these stories um, come from edges of our society where people who have, have, have been discriminated against and persecuted, not just for what they believe, but for who they are. The first story I want to tell you today is about a keyboard player, piano player. His name is Daryl Davis. Have you... Uh, <laughs> This guy, uh, I don't know if you've, I read this story, somebody posted it on Facebook about a year ago, and Daryl Davis is uh, a musician who is known for playing boogie-woogie piano styles, kind of like Jerry Lee Lewis, um, Fats Domino. He's, he's actually quite good at what he does. He's actually even, you know, played with Bill Clinton and uh, uh, played all over the world. He currently plays with a, a Muddy, Water Blues, Muddy Waters Blues Band um, they've changed their name. But there's an interesting thing that happened. This, this guy, Daryl Davis, back in 1983, he was playing in a country band in a, in a, in a club that was uh, not officially segregated, but there, he was the only black person in the place. 
And at the end, this guy comes up to him and says, man, I've never heard a black guy play, Jerry Lee, play like Jerry Lee Lewis before I heard you. And he goes, I, I got news for you. Where do you think Jerry Lee Lewis learned how to play the piano like that? <laughs> and uh, this, he, he was actually friends with Jerry Lee Lewis. Um, for those of you who don't know Jerry Lee Lewis, uh, goodness gracious, great balls. That guy. Um, and they begin talking, and this guy's just a huge fan of music. And this guy ends up telling Daryl Davis right here during their talking about music. Uh, he tells him that, well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Klansman. I'm in the KKK. And you'd have to think in that moment, most people in their right mind in that situation would be going, okay, good talking with you. Uh, glad you're a fan of the music. I'm out of here. But Daryl Davis didn't do that. In fact, he just sat down and kept talking. And he, he developed a relationship with this guy um, over time that actually led to this guy leaving the KKK. And what happened over the, 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 the years that followed is Daryl Davis, through this one relationship, he got to know other KKK people. And after a period of time, he actually was, was, um, was instrumental in the, the decline of the KKK in Maryland to the point where the KKK in Maryland doesn't even exist anymore. It's fallen apart because this one guy refused to back down at the intimidation of the enemy, but instead engaged the enemy and sat down with the enemy and had dinner with the enemy. It's, if you go look Daryl Davis up on YouTube, you can find clips. It's the craziest thing to see. Uh, he, he shows up at a KKK rally. He's sitting on the front row. And the, the grand wizard of the KKK is like, um, I would do anything for this guy. <laughs> it's like, what? So even, even people that haven't left the KKK yet, his impact on their lives is changing them because they had certain views about African Americans, and he has confronted them with something else. And he's done it through relationship. He's done it by refusing to play the us versus them game. He, do we have a picture? Yeah. He's, uh, he's got a collection of some 25 KKK robes and hoods that people have given to him after they have, have, have left. He just collects them now. <laughs> now listen to this. Listen to what he says here. He says, um, a lot of people have anti-racist groups. They get together and meet and have a diverse group, and all they do is sit around and talk about how bad discrimination is. Then someone says, there's a Klan group across town. Why don't we invite them to come over to us? And the other person says, oh, no, we don't want that guy here. Well, you're doing the exact same thing they are. What's the purpose of meeting with each other when we already agree Find someone who disagrees and invite them to your table. Invite your enemy to talk. Give them a platform to talk because then they will reciprocate. Invite your enemies to sit down and join you. You never know. Some small thing you say might give them food for thought, and you will learn from them. Establish dialogue. It's when the talking stops that the ground becomes fertile for fighting. These words of Daryl Davis remind me an awful lot of what I see Jesus doing. Jesus, he got in trouble because he, he, he ate with the wrong kind of people. 
Jesus, you're, you know, you're eating with the enemy. The, the sinners, the, the tax collectors, prostitutes. What, why are you doing that? I wanted to start with this story of Daryl Davis because it's interesting that this passage about persecution follows immediately after Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. And I believe that peacemaking is tied so much to persecution that, that, that that's the reason that these two verses come together. For Daryl Davis, the persecution was something that he, he, he was facing on the outside. He was persecuted before he stepped into it. He actually undid the persecution through relationship. But I want to tell you another story. This is one of my favorite stories. This one takes place in... 1960 in New Orleans. Do you recognize this person here? This is Ruby Bridges. You ever heard of Ruby Bridges' story? Actually, I'm sure there's some of you in this room who grew up in New Orleans who, who probably uh, heard about this when it was going on. It's 1960. The, the federal courts have ordered that schools be desegregated in America. And Ruby Bridges is chosen to be one of the first African-American kids to go into a formerly all-white school. Now, at first, her parents were like, this is crazy. No way. We can't, we can't do this. We're just going to be sending our, our kid, to, you know, throwing her to the wolves. And, but they prayed about it, and they really felt like, no, this is what we're supposed to do. And so they send Ruby Bridges to school for the first day of school. Now, how many of y'all remember, if you have kids, bringing your, your, your first child to the first day of school? That's a scary day, isn't it? I remember Tevia when she was going into kindergarten, and, and, you know, she'd spent her whole life with us up to that point. People taking coffee outside. <laughs> it's cool. Uh, circling. Is it cool? Uh, <laughs> but I remember taking Tevia to school for the first time when she was in kindergarten, Schneckenberger Elementary on the South Shore. That's a hard name for little kids to say. Uh, where do you go to school? Um, and I remember dropping her off, and it's just like as a parent, you just like, oh, she spent her whole life with us. This is going to be so hard to let her go and trust other people with our child. And what if she doesn't get along good with other kids? What if she gets a bad teacher? What if she doesn't know what's going on and just, you know, gets in trouble? Well, that's the kind of thoughts that we have as just normal people on a normal first day of school. Can you imagine what Ruby Bridges' parents must have felt that first day of school? Can you imagine? I'll show you a picture. This is uh, Norman Rockwell's picture of, of, the, of the event, her going to school. You see that there? There's four U.S. Marshals there. She had, to be, she had to go to school escorted by four U.S. Marshals while people threw stuff at her, while they hurled insults at a six-year-old, a six-year-old kid, calling her the most degrading things that you could imagine, and she just kept on walking. She made her way up to class, and she was told she could choose any seat she wanted because there was no other children there. Every single child, white child, had been kept out of school by their parents because she was going there. So every day, she would walk through that same angry mob to study alone with her teacher. 
One day, Ruby's teacher is waiting for Ruby to show up, and she looks out the window, and she noticed that, that when Ruby gets up close to the school, she, it looked like she's talking to somebody. And so, and so she says, Ruby, who are you talking to out there? She said, oh, I was just praying. Who are you praying for? Those people. <laughs> the people that were showing up every day protesting. She was praying for them. You know what she prayed? Please, God, try to forgive these people. Because even if they say those bad things, they don't know what they're doing. So could you forgive them just like you did those folks long ago when they said terrible things about you? What? Now, I grew up in evangelical Christianity, and we were pretty good at praying against people. You know? We were good at praying against people. I, ne- I mean, honestly, I never knew anything about praying for your enemies. I didn't, I didn't get that until I had to preach a message on this about eight years ago in Kenner. I, honestly, I'd never heard a message about loving your enemies the whole first 15 years I'd been in church. That's not something we believe in. That was for the early church. <laughs> That was for the days of Jesus. We don't really seriously do that now, do we? Here's Ruby Bridges walking through an angry mob who hates her, who hates everything she stands for just because of who she is. She ain't done anything wrong, and she prays for him. Father, Heavenly Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. That sounds an awful lot like another prayer in the Bible, right? prayed by Jesus when he was hanging on the cross. There was a psychiatrist, psychiatrist by the name of Robert Coles who was doing research on how children respond to stressful situations. And he came down to or- New Orleans and began meeting with Ruby and her family. And he asked her parents for signs of stress. Is she sleeping all right? And they said, yeah, she's sleeping good. What about her appetite? Is, is, is she eating fine? Yeah, she's fine. She's eating normally. When he finally interviewed Ruby, he was shocked by the lack of any signs of stressed. stress. She seemed unshaken by all the hatred around her. When he asked her how she dealt with the mean things people said, she replied, I just pray for them. Who is the powerful one in this story? Is it the angry mobs throwing stuff at her, insulting her? Or is it the six-year-old kid who gets it? (laughs) Contrast the story of Ruby Bridges with the way much of the church in the United States acts today. Instead of being known for our sacrificial love and And how we pray for our enemies, we have become known as a people who love political power but hate gays, who call ourselves pro-life and yet are pro-war and pro-torture, who will express vocal outrage on a number of moral issues and yet will be conspicuously silent when it comes to things like taking care of the poor and the oppressed, who will fight bitterly to have prayer in school and the Ten Commandments on the walls of a courthouse but turn our heads to the injustice all around us. Instead of being known for sacrificial love, the Church of America has become known 
for its anger and its moral outrage. And this brings me to the question of what is righteousness that Jesus is talking about here? What does it mean to be persecuted for righteousness? The Jesus kind of righteousness. What's the Jesus kind of righteousness that he's talking about? I've been persecuted for a certain type of righteousness, you know? Back in the day when I, I was in college ministry, man, I love fighting with my, my college professors about evolution, my biology professor about evolution. I love fighting with my philosophy professor about atheism. I love fighting with students in the student union about their immoral lifestyles. And, and I'd get persecuted, and I'd walk away going, hallelujah, persecuted for Jesus. Glory to God. I told them. I shared the truth. I wasn't persecuted for Jesus. I was persecuted for being a jerk. You know? And I think when it comes to us in America, and this is why I say we have to look at the way that we come to the Scriptures, because when you are living the way of the empire, like the Romans or the Americans today, when you're so attached to the empire, it affects the way you look at these things. And so when we come to the term persecuted for righteousness, we usually uh, think of it in terms of being persecuted for standing up for our rights. You with me? So I remember there's actually a picture. I, I couldn't find it. A newspaper clipping from me and Dina. We were uh, a part of a protest back in Hammond, Louisiana when we lived there. Uh, the ACLU was coming in to shut down some, um, to file a lawsuit against this, this organization that was trying to get Christian clubs going in the Tangipahoa Parish Schools. And we were out there with a bunch of other Christians from our church, and we were protesting and we were praying against our enemies like good Christians do. And we were worshiping. And, and we were not engaging with dialogue on anything because we were right. And God was on our side. And it was us versus them. And there was something that felt good about being persecuted when we got home. And this is, I think, for, for, for people who live in a place of privilege and power and prominence, we, we fight for our rights in America. That's just as, as American as apple pie. But I got news for you. If you've signed up to follow Jesus, you've given up your rights. You've given up your rights to yourself. <laughs> no, nobody shot me down on that one. <laughs> I don't know about that, man. <laughs> no. Galatians 2.20, the Apostle Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Let me ask you this. The Apostle Paul, he, he wrote a lot of letters from prison. He was like on death roll, a good percentage of his 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 uh, his time in ministry. Do you remember that part where where Paul wrote about how we need to boycott Rome? Remember that time where Paul was like, "Dude, go out there in front of Caesar and pick it and hold up signs and, and tell the Romans how bad they are and that they need to legalize Christian prayer." You remember that part? No, you don't. It's not in there, by the way. <laughs> 
I am amazed when I look at the writings of Paul in the book of Philippians. Paul is in prison. It's not a good prison, by the way. You know, if you're in prison in Rome, like you had, they didn't feed you. You didn't get to watch TV. You didn't get to check out books in the library and work on your law degree. It was bad, you know. You, you, got, you, you had to rely on others to bring you food, you know. Like, so even in prison, like, like if you didn't get somebody to bring you food, you're dying of starvation. And so Paul is in this desperate, horrible situation And he writes the book of Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Paul, in the midst of this prison, he says, I've learned the secret to happiness. What? I know what it's like to live good, to to, to have everything going for yourself, and I know what it's like to live in want and lack and hunger. But I've learned that the secret of happiness has nothing to do with your circumstances. It's, It's summed up like this. I can do anything through Christ that strengthens me. I can go through anything. Yeah, it's good stuff. What is this righteousness that Jesus is talking about being persecuted if it's not this external uh, pharisaical kind of righteousness? Well, I think it's the righteousness that we see in the, in, in the Beatitudes. You know, the us versus them mentality, it's the, one of the most powerful, pervasive things in our world today. Us versus them. God's on our side and he don't like you. We're right, you're wrong. If I want to grow this church, if I want to double this church uh, in a month, I start doing us versus them stuff. Because nothing will draw a crowd quicker than us versus them stuff. Yeah, it worked for Hitler. It works for everybody who does it. But us versus them is a demonic way of unity. It's earthly, sensual, demonic. It does not produce ultimate unity, but division. What Jesus is talking about when he talks about being persecuted for righteousness, it's, it's when we become peacemakers instead of us versus them. When we step outside of, of these groups that are warring and we stand in between them as a reconciling force. When we refuse to, to let our faith be co-opted by Republicans or Democrats or the American government, we refuse to let that happen. We step out of that game. And we live out the simple ways of Jesus. You will be persecuted. I found, uh, you know... It's funny, like a couple of months ago when I first started posting some things about the Sermon on the Mount. And look, I got to tell you, I'm, I don't want to act like I got this stuff together, okay? I'm offended by this every day. I kind of wish like we'd have done a sermon on seven steps to a better life, okay? <laughs> you know, to, seven steps to success in marriage. I kind of wish some days we would have done that because I'm convicted by this stuff. But I got to tell you, when I start posting a few things a couple of months ago on Facebook, you know, when, when we have ISIS blowing up and Palestine and Israel and Ferguson, all these different situations, and I just start posting some of the Jesus stuff, I've never got quite the backlash from anything I posted up to that point. And guess who it's from? Christians. By the way, guess who the persecution that Jesus got was from? It's from the religious folks. They're going to be the the biggest persecutors. 
When you refuse to play the game of us versus them, you are going to get persecuted. We saw it with Martin Luther King. We saw it with Gandhi. We've seen it with countless others, others who, who don't have famous names. The moment you opt out of that system, the moment you opt out of retributive violence, the moment you opt out of accusing your enemies and and you begin doing like uh, Daryl Davis did, like Ruby Bridges did, you're going to find a whole different kind of persecution coming your way. But that's what it's like to be persecuted for the Jesus kind of righteousness. Jesus goes on to say, somewhere here, did did I get the wrong page? In verse 11, he says, blessed are you when people insult you. If you need a good verse to stick up on your refrigerator or your car, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That's a real uplifting scripture, right? What? This stuff seems so counterintuitive, but, but here, here's what I want to say. I, I believe what, what Jesus draws the, the, the um, parallel between the prophets and people who were persecuted because of him. You know, the Old Testament prophets, man, they, a lot of them got mowed down by the religious. I mean, they just got killed. And the, the Old Testament problem, prophets, their, their problem was that they were critiquing the system of religion that celebrated festivals and oppressed the poor. And so you would have guys like Amos in the Old Testament say, on behalf of God, hey, take away the sound of your worship songs. It is nauseating to me. <laughs> your, your festivals that you participate in that have my name on them. They make me nauseous at my stomach. Instead, why don't you let righteousness roll forth like a river, justice like an unending stream? See, when we follow these ways of Jesus, we become prophetic. We become a critique against the powers of this world, whether they're political, economic, social, or political. You know, I've, I've spent much of my time in Christianity around more charismatic expressions of church, and I've been around a lot of so-called prophets uh, in, in my time. And, uh, and I've, I get stuff forwarded to me all the time, you know, hey, check out what this prophet said about the future. But i got to tell you, there's a lot of so-called prophets who this is their message. Now, there's going to be some bad earthquakes. <laughs> there's going to be some bad financial times. More terrorism. Like, yeah, I, I could tell you that. <laughs> tell me something I don't know. <laughs> but what I, I believe the true prophetic is in the way of Jesus, Jesus kind of prophetic, is these things that challenge the systems of this world. Even the systems of the world ingrained in the institution of the church. They challenge it. You know, Jesus sat down to eat with with tax collectors and Pharisees and sinners. He was, he was actually um, a prophetic picture of what the kingdom of God is like. Look, you guys think it's an us versus them thing. You guys think that it's only the Pharisees that are getting into the kingdom. I got news for you. Tax collectors, they're going to be there. Prostitutes, they're going to be there. 
These normal fishing guys, they're going to be there. And guess what, guys? You, you Pharisees, you're probably going to be like the last in line. I hate to break it to you. Jesus was prophesying with every action that he did. In the same way, we step into the office of, of, of or step into the gift of, of prophecy when we live the ways of Jesus because they challenge the, the, the systems of this world. You hear me? I believe what Ruby Bridges did, that was a prophetic act from a six-year-old. Jesus finally offers the promise in this passage. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What Jesus is saying here is I, I don't think he's recycling things, you know, because he actually starts off the, the, the Beatitudes by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now he repeats it, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I don't think he just ran out of things to hand out, like, you know, I gave away the earth, <laughs> I gave away mercy of God. Uh, I, I believe Jesus is, is bringing this thing full circle, and he's saying that, that in a real sense, when we become persecuted, for following Jesus, it opens us up to an experience of the kingdom of God in the here and now. And yes, it includes heaven and the great by and by, but it opens us up to experiencing God in a powerful way right now. I don't think there's any other way we could explain the advancement of the early church, but because of that, I don't think there's a way you could explain Paul being joyful on death row in, in, in Rome other than he was experiencing the kingdom of heaven right now in a Roman prison cell. Stephen, the first martyr in the church, who, by the way, his whole thing was feeding poor people. The first martyr of the church, he's martyred by the religious leaders of that day. And it says when he was getting stoned to death, he looked up. He says, I see Jesus at the right hand of God. It says his face was like the face of an angel. And he says his last words that he said, Father, don't hold this against them. They don't know what they're doing. That's the power of God. That's the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. There is something about when we take Jesus seriously and we follow his ways, even when you start getting kickback and resistance, it opens you up to the experience of the kingdom right now in a way that you would never experience it if you just you know, show up every week and just get a cup of coffee at church and, you know, pay your tithe and go about your life. I just want to close by saying this. You know, this last week, things just seem to be race relationships in this country just seem to be getting so stressed out in light of this, this Ferguson ruling. And what makes me sad is when I go on Facebook, it's just, you know, this group against this group. Blacks against whites. Democrats against Republicans. Rich against poor. I don't know if any of you have ever noticed this in your own marriage, but in my marriage, me and Dina fight occasionally. And sometimes our arguments are quite extensive. 
Sometimes they go on for hours at a time. We had one such argument last year, and I don't even remember what the argument was about initially, but it had something to do with what we were eating for dinner. You ever had one of those arguments that starts over something relatively trivial, and then all of a sudden it just blows up? Well, what we began to see shortly after that, (laughs) a couple hours later into arguing, was this thing wasn't really about the food we were eating that night at all. That was just the flashpoint. My fear is right now, the, the majority of the dialogue over Ferguson It's us versus them. It's us versus them. And I don't care if you're right. You can be be right and be wrong. Right? (laughs) See, I I really believe that what's going on there in Ferguson, I don't even think that's the, the, the main issue. The main issue is stuff beneath the surface. And if, 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 if we are not committed to be people who step across the lines, who get into places that we're uncomfortable, if we're not committed to being peacemakers and reconcilers, this stuff is just going to keep fueling stuff for, for years to come. Martin Luther King said, you know, riots are the language of those who haven't been heard. And I think we desperately need to take the words of Jesus seriously today. But let me tell you this. The moment that you step out of that playing us versus them thing, you're going to take flack from your political party. You're going to take flack maybe from your race. But I thank God there's some people who are doing things that that are going beyond the surface and actually getting down to the real deal. I hope some of you are going to come back next Sunday. We're going to close this morning with, with communion. I'm going to invite uh, Skip and Pam up here. They're going to distribute communion as as we come up. We'll just uh, we're going to do another worship song, and uh, we'll kind of do this um, fairly organized today. We'll start with this side, this side, this side. You don't have to take communion, but if you want to participate in communion today, we're going to take communion from the perspective of this this passage today. Because this bread and this, this, this cup, they represent Jesus who was persecuted on our behalf. Jesus who took all the evil and violence that we could throw at him and yet did not return violence to us. He returned forgiveness. So today we come to the cup. We come to the body broken for us. And to the promises of Jesus that even when we are broken and poured out, He'll be right there with us, that we will experience his kingdom. So as I just, uh, I'm going to do a worship song here. uh, And as we worship, just come up and take over the table.